Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And we are coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans Studios, National Mortgage Lender. Quicken Loans presents Rocket Mortgage with you every step of the way to provide a seamless mortgage experience. It's the Ken Carmen Show on CBS Sports Radio, 855-2124-CBS, 855-2124-227. Mark Mass going to join us from the Washington Post coming up in 40 minutes. we got five burning questions coming up in just over 20. I was going to get to Zeke Elliott. I was going to get to Baker Mayfield. we got people want to talk college football. It is the opening week of college football, even though there's two games tonight, and then we really get going next week. Hick, I'll leave it up to you. Should we take these calls on college football? I say we should. It's up to you, babe. Oh, yeah. Let's keep the good times rolling. Let's keep the good times rolling. Speaking of letting the good times rolling, can we hear Michael Irvin again last night? I just need to get this in my system. It's pretty excited, folks. We've had Miami callers today. One was really excited. We had a couple of people talk coach speak. Miami, Florida tonight. I respect you, Florida. I want Miami to win. And the reason I want Miami to win is basically because college football is so much better. Because guys like Michael Irvin exist. Hit it. Could you imagine being one of his kids and playing shoots and ladders with him? Could you imagine that? Like you play Hungry Hungry Hippos and he ends up beating you in the count of Hungry Hungry Hippos and he hits you with this. Hickey. Imagine being his son. Having him say that to you. You're in the driveway. You're playing a game of one-on-one. Playing some pickup basketball with dear old dad. Dad hits the game-winning shot, turns around, and lets you have it with this. We don't we'll come to your damn house, but I'll your yes, that's not your damn I love Michael Irvin. 855-2124-CBS. He will, I don't care. He'll always be one of my favorites. You can make all your jokes you want to, and I know where you're going with those jokes. And if you want to make them on air, you better make them good because I'm not going to laugh at your joke just to get through the call. You get to Joe in Oregon. Joe, you're next up on CBS Sports Radio. Go ahead. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Ken. I called a couple weeks ago to talk about my little brother Beaver program. Uh, Mm. Highlighted them a little bit going over things with a Duck fan yesterday. And I said, I hope they rebuild the way that Army has rebuilt, and the Duck fan commented that Army isn't in the same ballpark as a Power 5 program, but I like the work that Army has done. I'm an Army veteran myself. I donate to the Academy, so I have a connection there. Really? But if you look at uh, what Army has done under Jeff Munkin, in year two, they went 2-10, and and people started questioning the hire. But if you look, seven of those games in his second year – 
were losses by seven points or less. And looking at last year's body of work where they went 11-2, and two, they're doing all the right things. And in college football, I think one of the most important things you can do is beat your rival. So three years in a row of beating Navy, I was mm-hmm. at the 2017 Army-Navy game in the snow, and it was one of the best experiences I've ever had in college football. And what? one of the other experiences I've had is when Oregon State beat number one USC in 2008. And, you know, to say that you know Army's close to beating some of these Power Five programs in that 2015 years they lost I think by a touchdown to Penn State 20 uh, they got their doors blown off in 2017 by Ohio State and last year they lost in overtime to Oklahoma I just think that with the work he's done he's done a good job recruiting while they've lost some guys on defense this year some key guys. I still think they're close to beating a Michigan or a Notre Dame or something like that. Well, you have and, uh, Joe. Uh, you talk. Uh, you're talking about. Uh, you're talking about Army here. Which one are we talking here? I'm talking Army. I was just highlighting okay. because I. Yeah. I brought up the point that I hope Oregon State can rebuild their program the way Army has done under Jeff Munkin, and I was highlighting Army for that aspect because they've done yeah. a great job in doing that. Well, they've had. There's been times where they've had success before, Joe. And and Joe, thank you very much for the call. Because I remember when Joe made that call a couple weeks ago. There, there's obviously a respect with Army because there's going to be a respect with any service academy program because they're service academy programs and they play at a different level. Let's be honest; it means something different here. When we talk about guys moving up, it's it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. I know it's never going to happen. But if we're talking about NFL head coaches here. You got guys who are great at recruiting. They get the bump. They're terrible because you can recruit. Now you're getting a five-star athlete technically when you get to the NFL because you're going to get a first-round pick. But they can recruit. They can run their system. They can do their thing. You have a guy like Jeff Munkin who has to run a different system because he has a different type of athlete. He has a different type of football player. He has to have a different type of football player for what they do. And he's expected to compete and at least make them reasonable. Eleven and two is out of this world for Army. There's a difference on obviously you have respect, but the reason why I respect Jeff Munkin so much more is that what Jeff Munkin does is obviously take them to a different level and then can run a system where they can perfect and then he can play defense on the programs that he plays. And yeah, I get it. I know that Western Kentucky and I think they got San Jose State this year. I think that those programs, obviously they're not up there with the creme de la creme, but you have to be a, a great game planner to beat teams and at least be respect, respectable as an Army or a Navy. You really want those guys. you got to have game plan guys, guys who are able to make adjustments in-game, guys who are able to not lose their cool when things don't go their way. And there's a lot of college football coaches who are absolutely 100% guilty of that. We talk about all these coaches. Jeff Munkin is a guy that we deserve to talk about. We should be talking about. It'll never happen. I know it'll never happen. It's got to mean something different to Jeff Munkin. It's got to mean something different if you're a coach at a service academy. That's understood. But if you really wanted to go after one of these college coaches, you got a game planner, boy, if you're going to get over 500 or even approach it at Army or Navy, you better be a game planner. John in Columbia, South Carolina, you're next up on CBS Sports Radio. Go ahead. Hey, how you doing? Horrible, John. Thanks for asking. I'll still take the Ric Flair over the uh, Michael Irving. I just I love that every time he 
talks about that. I'll tell you another good one is Ray Lewis talking to the U players. Uh, that's pretty inspiring. But the reason I called was uh, getting uh, – I'm from Columbia, South Carolina, home of the Fighting Gamecocks, and our rivals are the Clemson Tigers, okay? Here we go. Here we go. Let's no, go. No, I mean, I, hey, look, I, I'll, I turn that studio in the garage with all the jokes I know on Clemson. But anyway, the point being is that you really have to give Dabo a lot of credit. You know, he, was a, he sold himself to the trustees at Clemson to coach. They didn't go out and recruit him. He got in front of those trustees and said, I want to coach this football team. And being a uh, Gamecock fan, and my daughter went to the University of Miami, I couldn't figure out how Dabo was pulling these kids out of Miami. You know, like, where would you rather go, South Beach or be up in the sticks? I mean, there ain't nothing up in Clemson. You know what I mean? I've been through there. You're right. Right. Okay, so how <laughs> so, so this, is sorry, how he do, this is how he does it. And a buddy of mine told me, he said, Dabble goes into the house, and the kid's sitting there in South Beach or, you know, Hialeah, whatever, and goes, um, look, your kids could hang here in South Florida, run around with his boys, and get in trouble, or I can take them up to baby Jesus up in the mountains of South Carolina, and the kid will never get in trouble. He'll go to church every Sunday, and that mother turns and looks at him and goes, you're going to Clemson. Oh, and that's God. how he recruits it. Well, that wasn't even – John, that was still – that was the best way Tommy Bowden used to get him, too. Now, Tommy, obviously, that's that's the birth of Clemsoning, and I love Tommy Bowden, and we've had him on the show many times, but it's the truth. But that's always the way that you try to get those guys, and, and they've been successful with it where Miami – Miami is known as you have to have a strong constitution with the players because I think that the, what the problem has been with Miami over the last – I would say now to, going on 20 years, and maybe you disagree – is that I think they like the tradition of Miami that's been created, but that tradition has also been where guys have been crazy, guys have gone out there and done some stuff, maybe gotten in a little bit of trouble, and they seem to like what Miami gives them, but they don't want to understand that you have to play at a high level and win if you're going to be that way. Well, I think people, just with this mass media and stuff, I think people discovered south of I-4, you know what I mean? That no <laughs> one was going down there before. And then all of a sudden, here comes these athletes. I had buddies that played football for Carolina, and they say, you get the kids from South Florida, and you're in 110-degree weather, and them guys ain't even breaking a sweat. And you get these big old beef eaters from Kansas and stuff, mm-hmm. these linemen, and they're ralphing on the sidelines, you know? I mean, they, they can't handle the heat. Well, that's... And, that's the exactly exact John and John I got because I got to get okay. the lead and then I got to get up against it and thank you very much for the call that's the difference what that's why I like Jimbo Fisher when he went to Florida State so much years ago is that he changed the offensive line culture of what they had at Florida State when he got to Florida State it was no longer 345 pounds barely able to move the stuff that got the Big Ten stuck in the mud for a couple of years or for a very long period of time it was 280 285 295. You better be able to move like a cat because if you beat him to a spot, then you win the football game. You better be able to bench press a Mack truck, but if I beat you to where you need to go, I win. And that was what changed a lot of what's going on because when the Big Ten is able to get that, and you've seen it over the last couple of years, you got some really good athletic offensive linemen out of Wisconsin. Now they've been trained differently. Now they've been brought up differently. You've seen that change. A guy like Joe Thomas who moves around like a cat who's not naturally 340 pounds, who obviously slimmed right down. You could see the way that they changed. There's great athleticism to it. Before, it was just a big guy. Now it's changed, and they've demanded more. 
And if you beat a guy to a spot, you're always going to win that. You're always going to win that battle. But what you're saying about Clemson, that that's that's always been key number one. You get to mom, mom's worried. Yourself, you you assure mom. And I think one of the problems is, and listen, I root for Miami because I want Miami to do well because I want better college football. It's more fun. But I think over the time is that you've had guys who have maybe taken Miami for granted or maybe thought that they were just going to be at Miami and party and they were going to get away with it and that's what it was going to be. Like if Miami, if if the Blades weren't the Blades, if Michael Irvin wasn't Michael Irvin, if he wasn't a playmaker on the field, forgive the bad nickname obviously with the puns and whatnot, if they weren't what they were on the field, none of this would be talked about. Yeah, Kenny Hill giving the guns as he's running up the ramp. There's no way that's possible if they're not winning. That's what makes them special. And that's why I do think that Miami has fallen off. You have plenty of guys who go there. They think they can go to Miami. They get the glitz. They get the glam. They can ass off. Well, you know what? You can really ass off when you're a 12-game winner and you're battling for the national championship every year and you have the Orange Bowl filled up and you have Don Crickey doing the game on national television and you're hosting Nebraska. But the Orange Bowl's turned down and you have a different atmosphere now. And you can only go to Michael Irvin so many times. As much as I love this clip, hit the clip again. Hit Michael Irvin again. You can only live in the past so many times. I can only play that card so many times if I'm Miami. It's hilarious to me and awesome to me as an outsider. You can only do that so many times before, okay, we get it, but it's still not working. Lee in Little Rock, South Carolina. No, Little Rock, Arkansas, I beg your pardon. I thought it was read differently. Obviously, you're in Little Rock. Lee, you're next up on CBS Sports Radio. Go ahead. Yeah, what I'm trying to figure out is that why is it that um, USC is being overlooked so much? You talking I mean, about the Trojans? Yes, I, I understand they do have problems, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, it, uh, it seems that they can't develop their offensive linemen. You know what you were just talking about? Uh, the guys that's a hundred, I mean, two hundred and eighty, two hundred and ninety that can really move. You know, that's that was what USC used to have. They used to have a dynamic running game, the running back. But uh, do do you think that this uh, run and shoot thing that they're developing now is going to really bring them back? I'm not sure. I, the, the reason why I get so worked up about USC, Lee, and I'm hearing a reverb, so i got to let you go, and I thank you very much for the call, though, is the reason I get worked up about one thing is that with the offensive linemen, I, I, I think it's been, again, the way that Clay Helton does his business and where he, I think he's got, I don't think he's got L.A. values. I don't think that he's got what it takes to be an L.A. type of coach, a USC coach. Yeah, I think you got to be a little bit different. I think Clay Helton could be a very successful football coach, and I hate pulling against a guy because I think he's a pretty good guy. But I want USC to be USC, and USC will be USC, the type of USC that we know when they get Urban Meyer. So I have to pull against what they're doing this year, and I have to hope that they finish 5-7 and seven again because that's unacceptable to USC. But when you're talking about the linemen, I think you have a bit of a point. You have some experience there with Nealon. You have some experience there with a couple of other guys. But you're still trying to transfer it back over. And also, how much great is the experience when you also were 5-7 and seven last year? You get a guy like Neil. I think he's a sophomore. He's playing an important position. So if now you're going into a sophomore year off a 5-7 and seven year, you should naturally be better at that spot. 
But with what you're doing with 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 your offense, if you have the type of athlete that can take it over, and they feel they do with with their offense and with what they have with their quarterback situation, then fine. I just don't want Clay Helton to try to run an offense to appease a booster club or appease a guy like me just to try to get that thing over. Be who you are, not who you try to do. We always did this with Jim Trussell in Ohio. People get accused of trust the ball, trust the ball, trust the ball. When he had Antonio Pittman, it was offset eye. It was a lot of ISO. It was three yards in a cloud of dust. When he had Troy Smith and Ted Ginn, it was spread out. They got their heads handed to him by Florida. People don't want to recognize that because Florida is that much better and was an SEC school and was starting to embark on some of the greatest football of our generation. But they were able to mix it up. 855-2124-CBS. Up next, five burning questions. It's Ken Carmen on CBS Sports Radio. This is the Ken Carmen Show. It is time. Five burning questions. Hickey, take it away. All right, Ken. This weekend, MLB Players Weekend. And mm. with that comes some new uniforms. Yeah, the uniforms suck. Is that what you wanted to ask? Well, no, because I think that was a general consensus. But it was sort of my point. They just assault the senses is what they do. I, I don't understand how. Who makes the uniforms? Is it Nike? Uh, I believe it's Majestic still. Is it still Majestic? Okay. You can't come up with something for each team? Right. I like the ones Isn't they this had your last year. Is this your job? Yeah. I, I, I don't understand how you can't come up with something for each team. Nope. It's just black versus white. Okay. But they, they I, you know what they're doing? We're talking about it. So maybe they win in the long run. You ever think of that? We're paying that's, attention that's to baseball. True. It's negative, you know, on, but it is, it is attention. Uh, well, but still, uh, on the weekend of August 24th, when college football starting, now I know there's no college football games now, and there's maybe some 1 o'clock uh, first pitches and some 4 o'clock first pitches, but are you going to tune in just to see these jerseys just for a second to see whether or not you like them or not? Hell no. I bet some people will, though. All right, let's see what they're talking about. I'm just wondering. Oh, Maybe they oh, will. Sorry. I, yeah, you get I more missed, people who are. No, question. it doesn't matter. You get more people who are paying attention to it. Maybe that helps. I don't know. But yeah, that's my opinion on. Sorry, you didn't even ask your question. So, no, Go no ahead. worries. So in case you don't know what Ken's talking about, MLB rolled out all white <laughs> or all black jerseys with the nicknames on the back. This is my biggest problem with it. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. So part of Players Weekend, they put nicknames on the back of the jerseys, right? Yeah, yeah. Because. The lettering and the numbering is the same color as a uniform. You can't read what the nicknames on the back of the jerseys are. Yes, that's true. So that's just a point I want to make also. But obviously, Players Weekend, colored bats, socks, cleats, it's just all about expressing yourself. Yeah, so it throws do you, you like off. Players Weekend in MLB. Yeah, I think it's a bit forced. I really do. It's like, yeah, who cares? I, great, your nickname's on the back of the jersey. I don't know. It, it's not that great. So. If 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 the players like it, fine. But I, I really don't think it's that that exceptional. It's just okay. It's a it's a different weekend. There's there's nicknames on the back, but sometimes I kind of think, like I saw Francisco Lindor's belt. And I'm like, yeah, we're kind of trying too hard here. But that's my opinion. Next, do some NBA news. Dwight Howard is back in the news as he will negotiate a buyout with the Grizzlies and then sign a one year non guaranteed contract with the Los Angeles Lakers. His second stay with the team, hopefully for his sake, will go better than the first. And how about this, Ken? Since 2016, do you know the number of teams Dwight Howard has been with? Since 20, so this is three years. In the last three years? Yes. I'm going to guess five. Lakers will be his sixth team. 
Are you serious? Dead serious. What are they? Name the teams. Oh, geez. Um, so you you have, just knew the number. You didn't know the yes, teams. Hawks, Hornets, Grizzlies, Lakers. I know he's bought out by Hawks, him. Hornets, Grizzlies, Lakers. Wizards. Did he go back to the Magic? Did he go back to the Magic? I don't believe so. I, I thought he the went Wizards back. Wizards, and there's one more. Oh. Live search this. Uh, Rockets. Oh, no, that was 20. Oh, boy. The okay. Rockets are in there? No, well, that was 2015. I'm sorry. Either Man, way. That guy was supposed is... to be like the next big thing in in basketball. And it just, he hurt his back. And then things got weird. And it all went to hell. Billy Jock saying he got bought out by the Nets. So that should be the sixth team. He got bought out by the Nets. Well, Billy would know that. He's a big Nets fan. Huge Nets guy. Yeah. But obviously, Dwight Howard, his reputation is a notorious coach killer. So who will last longer in Los Angeles, Dwight Howard or head coach Frank Vogel? Oh, it's for, well, well, I don't know if Frank Vogel's going to get be a coach killed by Dwight Howard. Is Dw- how could Dwight Howard be a coach killer anymore? He's been with six teams in three years. But if you look at his track record, he got, everywhere oh, he's he, played, either coach he or got GM Stan has Van lost Gundy, their He got Stan after. Van Gundy off. Who, oh, yeah, but because it's the NBA. Guys lose their jobs all the time. He got Stan Van Gundy killed. I, I totally disagree with this narrative. Yeah, he's been an ass in the past, but he's and he got Stan Van Gundy fired. Who else did he get fired? Who else did he get fired? The Hawks had their president uh, or their general manager moved around. Uh, Washington, the Wizards oh, fired. Oh, come Ernie on. Grenfell. You get, yeah, like, that was I'm under sure a different set of circumstances. Mike Budenholzer, no, no, I don't believe that any at all. That you, No, kill that, kill that narrative in the alley. Dwight Howard has been a disappointment because we thought he was going to be the next great power forward slash center in the NBA, and he wasn't. So ultimately, I think he's a bit of a disappointment, even though at one point he was very dominant. He got Stan Van Gundy fired. That's it. Lord. They blaming him for Mike Budenholzer? No. no. Next. All right. We'll do some NFL. Cowboys exec vice president Stephen Jones believes a deal with Zeke will get done by week one. Now, mm. someone asked, does that mean a deal is getting done soon? He said, quote, I don't think we're close because there's not a lot of activity. End quote. One went on to say that deals get done very quickly, even within a span of a few hours. So yeah, he's optimistic true. that a deal will be done. And I guess about two weeks now from opening kickoff. Yeah. Take. I would say yes. Wouldn't I? Well, how would you not? So at some point you gotta you, you gotta give up this foolishness and you gotta sign the contract. Now I'm on I'm on Zeke's side, which means I'm on the Cowboys side. Because the Cowboys need Zeke. Zeke knows that. And if this is true, this this rumor about it being the second highest contract, you know what, Zeke? I know that you t- you technically don't deserve or you don't need to give them anything. They don't deserve anything. You don't need to give them a discount. Kind of need to give them a discount, all right? I know you can get paid some good money somewhere. You're in Dallas. It's the Yankees of the NFL. Be honest, it is. It's the Yankees of the NFL. It is a tremendous ownership that has supported you for your entire career, and you have been an idiot at times. I think that you need to give them what they need. Sign the contract. You still made a ton of money. Reclaim your image. Because there's times where in, this doesn't get talked about. Zeke Elliott has been has done some actually very charitable, nice things. It's just he's been an idiot already so many times because I think he's been immature and, and flatly stupid at times that it gets covered up. I think that there is a good person in there somewhere, but you got to find that good person, and that's up to him. And going to Cabo and having your agent called, what was it? No, your your personal trainer called Dak Trash. 
was it trash? Or no, he called him a bum. That's right. He called him a bum. Having him call him a bum, that doesn't work. See, you can't have that. Clean up your image. Clean up your life. Take your money and run. Next. Should we do the last one here? Running a little late. Yes, do it. All right. I think you like this one. Okay. Major League Baseball, back in the news. Positive, maybe not. They sent a memo this week warning about the dangers to players of using sexual enhancement pills that produce positive <laughs> PED tests after at least two players were suspended this year yeah. for these tainted tests. The memo said, quote, We know from experience that a number of these sexual or male enhancement products, which are sold online, at retail stores, and on the black market, both in the United States and internationally, contain anabolic steroids and other prohibited substances. For this reason, we strongly urge players against taking any sexual or male enhancement product from any source. So do buy this from MLB. This is going to be a cop-out. I want you to save this, and we're going to do this in the final segment of the show at 140 because my answer is too long. Wow. Okay? okay? If you want my answer on gas station, you know what pills. I'll give it to you at 140 because there is a logical answer where I didn't realize earlier this week uh, I'm stuck back in the 1990s and I need to get with the times personally. Yeah, there's a tease for you. That coming up at 140. Up next, Mark Maskey joins us, Washington Post. Teams are trying to find their own Sean McVay at their peril. It's Ken Carmen on CBS Sports Radio. This is the Ken Carmen Show. 855-2124-CBS, 855-2124-227. Everybody looking for their new Sean McVay. I think he's maybe the most dangerous man in the NFL. When owners get involved... They start wanting a guy like that, and they start getting their own teams in trouble. Also, what else is going on around the NFL? Let's go to the Washington Post's finest. Mark Maskey joins us on the show. Find him on Twitter at Mark Maskey with an E there at the end. NFL reporter for the Washington Post. Mark, thanks for joining us today, my friend. Yep, thanks for having me. What's the genesis of this writing about Sean McVay? I think I agree with you, but I think I want you to explain it to everybody else where people are looking for their own version of him. You know, I mean, I think we've seen it in the last two um, hiring cyclists for coaches. I mean, I think it's certainly made owners and teams more willing to, to hire a young guy, hire a guy who hasn't even really advanced to a point in his career where, where you would think of him as a head coaching candidate, a guy who's really established as a coordinator, as a longtime coordinator who's really done a lot and, and, and willing to take a chance on that guy. We saw it work out pretty well for the Bears last year with Matt Nagy. Now we're seeing sort of that influence in this last hiring cycle, you know, and, and people who are really almost protégés of Sean McVay, if you can have protégés at 33 years old. But, you know, we see Matt LaFleur get the job in Green Bay. We see Zach Taylor get the job in Cincinnati. And to a lesser degree, I mean, not someone who's associated with McVay, but, but certainly sort of that genre of coach. We see Cliff Kingsbury get the job in Arizona. So I, I think it's been sort of the trend we've seen in the last two hiring cycles. And now, to me, part of one of the interesting things of this, this season coming up is to see if any of these guys in this last hiring cycle can have immediate success. We did see Nagy have immediate success in Chicago. We obviously had saw Sean McVay have great immediate success with the Rams. But, but can Matt LaFleur or Zach Taylor or Cliff Kingsbury, is any of those guys set up for immediate success? I would argue that LaFleur might be, uh, and the other two are probably not. I agree with you, Mark, and, and I've done this before because when I went back to 2016, especially when the Sean McVay, when, when this, this really broke and this ended up being huge in, in this guy who's taken over the NFL at a very young age, he has that L.A. look to him, and now I think owners are captivated by him. I think that they want their own version of it because they want that guy to be the face of their franchise because it's a younger, 
exuberant, good-looking, smart football coach that they want to put in there. Hey, Andy Reid, we all know and respect, and he's been a head coach for a long time, but let's be honest, if Andy Reid were 35 years old, I don't think Andy Reid gets the look with the mustache and the uh, little bit of a belly here. Mark, am I wrong? <laughs> no, that's true. And look, I mean, I covered uh, some of those Redskins teams, but, uh, you know, in between covering the league when, when, when Sean McVay was, was coaching in Washington, yeah, I think everyone looked at him and said, one day this guy is going to be an NFL coach, but I don't think anyone thought that day was coming right, right before his 31st birthday that he'd get hired. So I think, to me, that's really the change, the, 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 the willingness to hire these guys at this age before they've really proven to everyone, hey, I'm ready to be a head coach. You don't really have to prove that anymore if you're the right guy. If you're an offensive coach, and in some cases if you have a direct tie to Sean McVay. So look, you know, everything, he did a lot of right things in L.A. A lot of things went right for him. Uh, obviously, he brought Jared Goff along. He was very smart to bring in Wade Phillips and basically make Wade Phillips what amounts to a co-head coach in charge of the defense. You know, and then a lot fell into place. Goff, you know, you can do all the right things with a young quarterback and still not have it turn out right. It did turn out right for McGway with Goff. We saw Gurley become a, basically a league MVP uh, caliber running back. We saw mm-hmm. the defense play very well. So everything fell into place. He had immediate success. We'll see if everything falls into place for any of these other guys. Mark Maskey joining us on the show. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Maskey, NFL writer, The Washington Post. A lot of people ripping off what he does in the preseason as well. Is this a, is this a change now that, that might be permanent where starters, it's just too important. Why play him in the preseason? Because basically the be- at best, you get some guys that get some more experience and maybe they're a little bit more ready for week one. Maybe. But at worst, uh, you put your job on the line because you got a guy hurt. No, it's true. I mean, I think we're seeing it more and more that the, the, the teams are just not putting their players at any risk at all. Now, the downside to that is probably for the first week or two of the regular season, you're a little behind where you would have been under the traditional approach. But, but, but the plus side is you're not getting as many guys hurt. You are putting these guys at much risk. You hope that you have more of your key players available for more of the season. We see more, more of this around the league than obviously – the quality of these preseason games deteriorates even further. You know, I, I, I think after this next round of collective bargaining agreement negotiations, we won't see the preseason be four games long anymore. We'll see it be two or at most three. Now, what's the second half of that, whether that means a 17 or 18 game regular season or an expanded playoffs or some combination of those, all of those, to get back those lost revenue for the, for the owners in, in, in exchange for shortening the preseason, I don't know that we know what the second part of it is, but I do think we'll see uh, the preseason cut in some way because, yeah, coaches have just sort of uh, the new league thing is, is I, don't put your guys out there. Don't put them at risk. You can get guys ready in practice. You see more of these joint practices where two teams come together. Those are a little more intense, and teams use those to get ready. And more and more, we're not seeing the front-line players being put out there in these preseason games. Can you find any any negative to play in 18 games because at first I go, ah, oh, it's watered down. You don't want to play him. Well, that's if your team's really bad. But if your team's any bit decent, well, then you're going to want to watch him. I mean, I, I've, I've still yet to see anything they've done to expand the league that has actually backfired on them right now. You know, we'll see. I mean, the last time the players took a very firm stand against this and said, look, if, if you're saying that you're about player safety, uh, it's not safe for the players to increase from 16 to 18 games. Now, in this round, uh, we've seen sort of the same sort of public pro- proclamations. We've seen DeMora Smith, the executive 
director of the NFLPA say, you know, no way, this is not going to happen. But the sense you get from talking to some people on the ownership side is that I think the owners feel that, that, that the no is not quite as firm this time, that it is a negotiable item, uh, that, but it's going to take a lot. I mean, the owners are going to have to offer a lot to the players to make the players consider 17 or 18 games. You know, that probably means larger rosters. It might mean more financial incentives. It might mean, uh, you know, concessions in other areas of the CBA negotiations. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think the answer on the player side is, is as firm a no as it was last time. But at this point, it's still a no. And the owners are going to have to find a way to change it to yes, to get to either 17 or 18 games. And then the compromise we may see is 17 games where you everyone plays eight home, eight away, and that one extra game comes somewhere else. That, that could be where it ends up as well. People aren't talking about that as much, but 17 games is a possibility as well. Is there any real chance that players can get a guaranteed contract in the NFL fully? You know, you know there is. I mean, I, the, the, the funny thing is, you know, people talk about that like it's a, 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 a union issue, an NFLPA issue, um, a CBA negotiation issue, and it's really not. It's really a sort of a case-by-case thing. We saw Kirk Cousins get a fully guaranteed contract with the Vikings. If, if the players and their agents make that, uh, a priority in each individual set of negotiations. If it happens enough times, then it sort of becomes the industry standard. We haven't seen it become the industry standard in the NFL. And you know, when you when you look at it from the big picture issue, yes, in each small individual case, it's great for the player. Um, you know, the player gets protection against an injury. You know, you mm-hmm. get a guaranteed contract three and four years out. But I'm not sure in the larger overall picture, it's great for players as a whole because the more players you see getting guaranteed contracts where it doesn't work out. You know, that, that money, the total amount of money going to players is probably not going to increase. So that, the money that's paid out to the guy who doesn't live up to his contract is probably going to come away from other players. So to me, you know, everyone talks about guaranteed contracts being such a great thing for players. Well, yes, in each individual case, it's great for that player. But in terms of sort of the overall picture and the overall compensation package, I'm not sure it really – changes it much if, or, if, or anything at all for players as a whole. You know, I had to ask you because at first I roll my eyes and then I have to go, well, you know, you got to be careful because I probably would have rolled my eyes back in the days when free agency was first coming around. So maybe there might be a chance that happens. Mark Maskey joining us on the show. All right. Antonio Brown, does he just not want to play football that much? He maybe doesn't want to play football that much in training camp in the preseason. We'll see, uh, we'll see if it changes now. I mean, they just had that second helmet grievance on Friday. I think it's gotten past the point of him sort of maintaining that if he doesn't get his way on the helmet, he's not going to play. I think win or lose in the second grievance, you know, he's going to, to, to play football this season for the Raiders. We're going to see him out there in whatever helmet he has to wear. You know, it's been just, the whole thing's just been kind of silly to go to these lengths to try to wear a helmet that, that's been discontinued by the manufacturer, they, where the manufacturer itself admits that the helmet technology has surpassed the, the technology that went into this helmet because it's an old helmet, and the technology continues to get better and better. If sort of the same time and effort and energy had been spent trying to get used to a new helmet, a better helmet, I think everything would be fine by now. So this, to me, the whole thing has kind of been silly. I think Pittsburgh, the people in Pittsburgh and the Steelers sort of eventually saw – the downside to enabling Antonio Brown and, and how these things kind of pile up and it reaches a point where it doesn't become sustainable anymore. I think the Raiders have to be very careful about continuing to enable Antonio Brown. We saw expressions of support for him 
right up to a point. And then we saw Mike Mayak finally come out and say, you know, enough is enough. You're either all in or all out. And that's where he showed up, came back to camp, and sort of the helmet thing started to go away a little bit. I think that was a smart approach to take. At some point, you just have to say, enough is enough. Get out on the field and play. And I, I do think that's what we'll see going forward, no matter what the resolution of this latest helmet grievance is. I got less than 60 seconds. Is there a deal that's made for Trent Williams soon, or are teams maybe a little bit afraid because he, you know, he wants to sue an NFL team? You know, I, I, I would have said no to that um, as recently as a few days ago. I think now that, that now that we know that the Patriots offered a first-rounder, and that becomes sort of the floor, and the fact that it got out tells you that the Redskins probably wanted it out. They wanted other teams to know what the yeah. market is and that it goes up from here. The Patriots offer a first-rounder. That's probably a late first-rounder because if they pick low every year. Offer, I think that was a message by the Redskins. Offer us more than that, and maybe something can happen. For the first time from now, I sort of believe, yes, maybe he gets dealt and moves on and, and, and plays somewhere else. Mark, I thank you very much for the time. All the best, my friend. Yep, thank you. Thank you, Mark Maskey, joining us on the show. Washington Post, NFL writer. I, I worry about that because a lot of people want Trent Williams. Right here in Cleveland, last night, the offensive line did not look good against Tampa Bay. They want, they want Trent Williams bad. 31 years old, I'm going, you know, he's threatening to sue a football team. The Patriots are offering a first-rounder, though. They've given first-rounders before, and probably he does get moved. 855-2124-CBS. Up next, hey, a sloppy week one. It's better than getting canned. It's Ken Common on CBS Sports Radio. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.